0: Yeah, Bob made a good point. I guess, you know, back in the day, it was really common to set up a study with somebody, just go over the gospel almost in one study session, and then they're ready to be baptized. And it seems like that's becoming less and less common, and sort of things are getting drawn out. And, and um, you know, I think part of that is where our society is, where our culture is. And, and that's part of why this book's here, because... And while we're looking at some of this stuff, you know, some of these methods uh, to try to, the people we already are in contact with, the people who are already our friends, or our family members, trying to reach out to them. Uh, That's a good point. All right, anybody, I saw somebody get nudged back here. Does somebody have a story? No? All right. I got like three people looking at me total. That's how you know it's time to move on. Okay. Alright, so we're going to look at, if you got a handout, I hope you did. Lori's got some if you don't have one. We're going to look at this idea of knowing the truth you want to share. A very basic idea of everybody in this room knowing just five verses that go along with the plan of salvation. And I hope and know, for a lot of us, that's something we already know. But that's something that's going to be our challenge for this week, our homework, if you will. Not memorizing the verses, just the locations of the verses. So let's open up with this. How important do you think this question is? What must I do to be saved? Very important. But I think part of the problem is, how many people do you know who are asking that question? Not many, many, right? Most people feel like they're fine. Either they think they already are saved or they think that salvation is a solution to a problem that doesn't exist or whatever it may be. So part of our goal is to try to get somebody to that place where they ask that question, and then when they do ask that question, knowing the answer to that question, which hopefully all of us do, or at least those of us who are Christians, should know at the very least what we've done to get there. So we're going to look at some things from Acts 16. If you would, turn there in your Bibles, Acts chapter 16, and we're going to look at just a couple of uh, evangelistic insights from Acts 16, verses 6 through 15, looking at this idea of knowing the truth we need to share, looking at this idea of people who may be along uh, the path we're walking and how we can reach out to them. So Acts 16, somebody read that uh, in the first place, Acts 16, well before we go there, this is a momentous chapter, this is where some of the, let's see here. Later on in Acts 16, the we passages continue with Luke kind of talking in the first person. And then also, this is the first converts to Christianity in, technically, the European continent, which is pretty interesting to think about. All up until this point, all the converts to Christ had been in the Middle East or in Africa. And then now, as it crossed over to Macedonia or Macedonia. Uh, to Greece, what we would call it today, you get the first European convert, which I think is interesting. All right, so look at Acts 16. Notice how Paul got there, though. Somebody read verses 6 through 9. Thank you. And read verse 10 and 2 for me, please. Sorry. Now,
1: after we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to
0: them. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, so obviously, the idea, of, well, the idea we're getting from this is God is working before we arrive. Now, obviously, the Spirit is not going to be forbidding us from going to places today. We don't have that kind of connection to the Spirit. He only communicates with us today through his word. And I don't think, um, you know, God's not going to send us a dream of somebody waving, calling us, you know, come to Winn Dixie, preach us the gospel. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. But there is a way I think God providentially could be setting up things on our path. You know, He's involved in people's lives, He's still there, Um, even if He's not helping them in a salvific way setting things up so we can get into contact with people that God wants us to talk to. Remember when Paul asks, we talked about this the first session, Paul asks that doors may be opened for them to share the gospel. And when you think about Paul requesting that prayer, how did, God ex- how did he expect God to open those doors? I think in a large way, it's through his providence. And for whatever reason, in this occasion, God wanted them, Paul and his co-workers, to go, to Macedonia. Um, And we're going to see that there were some receptive people there. And I think, you know, when you think about the people who spoke up when we talked about people's experiences this week, more than one person, I think a majority of the people, mentioned that whoever they were talking to was going through a rough time. And I'm not saying God causes those hard times for people, but hard times, providentially, can allow people kind of to start thinking about Wait a second. I need to get my life right with God. Wait a second. There's more to the life than just this physical stuff here. Wait a second. I need to be uh, paying more attention to my soul. So I do think, uh, you know, obviously this is a biblical concept. God calls people through the gospel. Look at Second Thessalonians two thirteen through fourteen. If somebody will read that for us, please. Second Thessalonians two thirteen through fourteen. Now, you so these people, anybody, all of us who are saved, we were called by God to salvation, to sanctification through the gospel, by the gospel. Uh, we heard the gospel calls, it's often called, we heard the gospel, we obeyed it, and then we became Christians. So God, if he's going to save anybody, again, he's going to do it by calling them through the gospel. But the thing is, how does the gospel get to people? They gotta hear it, right? They they need to be taught it exactly, and that's where we come in. Somebody uh, read for us Romans ten, verse fourteen. Romans ten, verse
1: fourteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher?
0: Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Um, So, you know, you can't call on somebody of whom you've never believed, can't believe in somebody you've never heard about. You can't hear about somebody without somebody telling you about them. And that's really Paul's point. And that's where we come in, uh, if you want to get this idea of God's co-worker, right? God's calling people through the gospel, but we're the ones who's sharing the gospel with people. And remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, you know, I watered or I planted, Apollos watered, but who gives the increase? God, right? So God's involved in this. So we we can't forget that. Uh, so this idea of God working, and I think as we're praying for open doors, as we're praying for strength and courage in our conversations with people, I think we should believe and trust that God uh, will, through His providence, match us up uh, with honest hearts who are willing to hear the gospel, um, and He's going to call them through His gospel when we share it with them. So. Any comments or questions on this idea here in 1 Corinthians 16? No. And it's interesting how certain things that come up in people's lives will get them thinking about God. And will, you know, people, uh, when you think about the sower, sorry, the parable of the soil, as it's often called, or the parable of the sower, you have those different soil types. And there are those different things that come in and choke the word out. But soil types can change over time. When people experience different things, when people go through different things. So even people, even this guy I messaged on Instagram, uh, we had that conversation, he was really hostile. That doesn't mean in six months he'll be the same way. You know what I mean? Uh, So keep praying to God and keep trusting him and keep doing what we can with the opportunities that he gives us. Okay, so the next principle here is that Paul was strategic. Okay, so they're trying to go to all these different places. They're being forbidden to go to all these different places. Then Paul, as an apostle during this time, gets a dream of this man calling him to Macedonia. He obeys it, which is really interesting and really important, verse 10. And then notice what happens. Somebody read 4 verses 11 through 13 of Acts 16.
1: sorry, Acts, Acts so 16,
0: 16. Okay. here, right, 11. 11 through 13,
1: therefore, assembly from Troy, as we ran straight
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so think about this idea. So God calls him to this particular place and then Paul just goes to a random street corner and starts preaching, right? No, he goes to a specific place. And we know from the book of Acts that it was his custom to start in a synagogue. And there's a lot of discussion about maybe there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. Maybe there weren't enough Jewish men. You'd have so many Jewish men to have a synagogue, all these different things. But I think it's interesting, he goes to a place, it says there in the text, in verse number 13, he went to the riverside where we suppose there was a place of prayer. So something tipped them off to this idea that on the Sabbath day, people gather this particular place to pray. So these people he's approaching, he knows that they're known for praying. He also knows that they're people who already feared God. Otherwise, why would they be assembled together praying, right? And then he's there willing to share the word with those who need to hear it. So you see a couple of different things uh, coming from this text. And I think you see in part how strategic Paul was. And I don't think that means we shouldn't kind of broadcast the gospel message and just share it with whoever we want. But at the same time, when (coughs) Paul was where God uh, called him to be, he wasn't just flipping with it. He wasn't just lackadaisical with it. He was thinking and trying to make the best use of his time by going first to the people that he thought were most receptive. And I think different things in our life might tip us off to some people who might be more receptive than others. Uh, David mentioned his friend who's going through a hard time, who's denominational, and they're close, and you know, you've got multiple ways to start up a conversation there. Maybe it's a family member, at least in my experience, that's a little easier to start a conversation with somebody, especially my dad. Me and my dad are like friends, and I can start a conversation with him, and nothing's off limits, and we can step on each other's toes, and it's okay, we'll still love each other, we know we won't offend each other. Um, So there's those opportunities in our life, hopefully, if we think about where's a good place to start, you know, in our life, where's the people praying by the river? Who do we know of who might be right to have this kind of conversation, who might be ripe uh, to share these things with? All right, any questions or comments or thoughts uh, on that?
1: Another thing, Paul went to Philippi, which was the foremost city. Yeah. I mean, he didn't start out in the country where people were not, but in the city where people were. Yeah, that's he a good went point. To where the people were.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He went to the, where the people were, yeah, and not just out in a field somewhere, you know, uh, which is interesting. Um, yeah, good point. So Paul is trying to, I think, if you were to summarize what is Paul doing, he's trying to make the best use of his time, right? He's not, he's, he knows he's only here for a short little while. He knows the mission at hand. He's trying to do the best that he can. All right, so notice Lydia's response here in verse 14. If somebody will read Acts 16, 14 for us. So it's interesting, these details that are included about her are seller of purple. Uh, most of us know, you know, she was a business lady, if you will. Seemed like she ran her own business. And you could get this purple dye either from some shellfish or there's, I think, a cheaper version that came from a type of plant. And she's from a certain city. But notice what's also included about her. She's a worshiper of God, right? So again, like we talked, she feared God. She wanted to do what was right. She just needed some direction. And it also says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So again, God is active in this situation. Um, and I think it is important to note that God doesn't override her ability or her free choice. She still had to choose to listen and to respond. But I want to float this question out to you guys. I hope I don't get in trouble. How today... Is God opening people's hearts to listen to preaching. Oh. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Same way you did it here. Very next word, that
1: word, to the things spoken by Paul, which is God. Right. So...
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we see God opening Lydia's heart through His Word, and then it's her choice to listen and to respond. And what we see here is a the guy in the book calls it a powerful balance. I think it more of everybody doing their part. God is opening Lydia's heart through the Word. Lydia is choosing to listen and to respond. And Paul obeyed God by going there and preaching. So you see, all three of them were doing what they had to do uh, for this to happen, right? Of course, God's always going to do His part. Lydia could have said, you know what? Eh, I think I'm fine just praying by the river. I don't really want to respond to this. She could have done that if she wanted to. Paul could have said, well, Lord, I know you're calling us to Macedonia, but I kind of, let's see where he was. But I kind of like the view here in Galatia. I think I'll just stay here. Um, no, but each of them, Paul and Lydia, were each doing what they were supposed to. All right. So now, uh, any what questions or comments do you have on that part? Pretty straightforward. All right. So now notice the baptism and the hospitality. Somebody read Acts sixteen fifteen. So I think this is interesting. It says that God opened her heart, you know, through what Paul preached. She chose to listen and to respond. And it says after she was baptized and almost just mentions it in passing. Right. Not that it's not important. Almost like, well, of course, that was the next step. Right. After she was baptized, she did this, that and the other. And I do think it's interesting. You know, she already believed in God Uh, She was willing to repent after she heard the preaching and then she was baptized. But that's a crucial part nonetheless. You know, there was something that she had to do. Even though she feared God, even though she was a worshiper of God, even though she often prayed to God, she still needed to be baptized. And we have on that sheet, if you look on that back page, item two under item D, every detailed conversion account in Acts includes baptism. Whether it's the, you know, what we often call the first recorded gospel sermon, or if it's the Samaritans, or the Ethiopian, whoever it is, they are baptized. Okay, so that was the next step. And then, her hospitality shows us something. I think it really shows us her conversion. Um, the, you, had this, you had this newfound bond in Christ with the apostles, and she wanted to take care of them. You know, she probably was pretty well to do, being a seller of purple, And she had the means to help them out, so she did. So you see that conversion in her life and how her life turned around, going from not even knowing these guys uh, to being hospitable to them. uh, And that's the power of of, uh, being changed. What uh, thoughts do you have on that section? Yes.
1: Just from uh, a neighbor. There are those that say that verse fifteen authorizes infant baptism mm-hmm. because she and her household. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if her household was baptized, therefore there had to be babies in the household. So they baptized babies. Right. But there's not evidence for that. And when we look at the rest of the scriptures, you must believe and be baptized, repent. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. There is, I mean, there's more of a response in baptism than just being baptized, exactly. you know. Um, and even, you know, I've heard certain people say, well, you know, in Rome, a household, well, during Roman times, a household was more than what we consider it today. Sure. I mean, you would have had a lot more family members in there. She probably, most likely, had servants and employees and all kinds of people in her house. Um, it's interesting they all were converted along with her. But children, there's even debate whether or not young children were considered part of the household in Rome from a colloquial, like, description standpoint, because um, they couldn't really, uh, what's the word, contribute much to the working of the house, you know. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's a good point to bring up. Um, but I think it's a good reminder. We see this in Lydia. You know, the path, the path leading somebody to the Lord, might not always be this simple. But I think there's some nuggets of truth in this that we can apply to the conversations we have. Keep in mind that God providentially through his word is working before, providentially and through his word, depending on their interaction with his word, is working before we get there. Keep in mind that we have um, this opportunity uh, to be strategic and to do what's the best use of our time. Keep in mind that the burden to respond is on the person. And God can call them through His Word, but He's not going to override them and make them respond to the Gospel. And then remember that this baptism and this changed life is the goal and hopefully the result. We may not convert everybody we talk to, but our interaction with somebody might help down the line. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. And somebody read verses 5-9 through for us of 1 Corinthians 3. Thank you. And really, oh, sorry, keep going, keep going. Verse 9. Through verse
1: 9. Sorry. He he who plants and he who waters are equal, and he shall receive his wages according to his labor. For we are all fellow workers for God. You are God's field, God's building.
0: Thank you. So this idea of being fellow workers with God in this process and remembering that, even if we study with somebody all the way from the first word to them becoming a Christian, it's still God who gave the increase. It's still God who gave the growth. It's still God who, through his word, converted them. But this idea of, Paul says, I planted Apollos water, gave, God gave the, the increase. Really, God's the hero of the story here. But also, you know, what if you're the guy who plants, not the guy who waters? Does that mean you miss out? no, no. What if if you didn't even plant? What if you just kind of prepared the soil? You miss out? No, right? So we're all in this together. We're all partnering with God. But God's the one who's going to give the increase. All right, so just a little bit of a reminder. If you look on item, major item, Roman numeral three there on the back page. This is the end of the section in the book that's called preparing for the field. And I just want to refresh our minds of these different principles we've learned so far. In the first place when we're going out, evangelizing, being natural evangelists, bringing this stuff up to our friends and family, we need to remember that Christianity is a blessing, not a burden. We're not burdening people by talking to them about Jesus. We're doing them a favor. And if we think Christianity is a burden, we're never going to try to share it with anybody else. Right? When something's a burden, you don't want anybody else to partake. Well, I guess I'd say misery loves company, but that's not the point. The point is if we view Christianity for what it is, we're going, to be, we're going to want to share it with others. Also, we need to remember to allow God to take the lead. In other words, we need to think: who does God want to be saved? Everybody you meet, right? So we can't set up some of these earthly, fleshly distinctions between people. That doesn't mean we can't be wise and make the best use of our time. Paul did that. But we can't think, oh, because this person is a certain ethnicity or a certain, uh, you know, Income or whatever, God doesn't want them to be safe. That's just not true. Also, we need to remember evangelism begins at home. We have to be consistent in our lives. People see how we live, and it can make an impact. Also, we can interject spiritual topics into mundane conversations. Hopefully, all of us are working towards doing that. Also, we must know the truth we want to share, which brings us to this week's homework. And I hope everybody has a sheet. These verses are on this sheet. Now you might say, well, these verses are different than verses that I've seen for these five before. That might be the case. I tried to do some of the easiest ones for us to memorize. Everybody here should know John 3.16, at least. Um, and we're going to have a quiz next week. And I don't want, I'm not saying you've got to memorize these word for word, but if I say what's the verse for here, I expect us all to know it's Romans 10.17. If I say what's the verse for be baptized for this class, I expect everybody to know. Acts 2.38. And I see some of you all giving me the the evil eye, but that's what we're going to do. All right, so thank you for your time. I appreciate you guys. And uh, you guys can come on in. We're done. We're done.